need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where myself and Eric... Hey, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. We go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order, and we report to the class, being you, the listener. Enjoy. Enjoy. We're well over halfway through now. I was looking at the list of films. I'm like, wow, we, we have fewer ahead than we have behind. That's amazing. We have to start thinking about uh, about our next chronologically. Well... I was thinking we'd do it shamologically. I no, you know. yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm down for that. I also had a crazy thought in the car today. A crazy thought. I'm ready for it. Mel Gibson chronologically. I don't think I don't because then you got to dive into all his right. bullshit. No, yeah, that's why. I mean, his that's why his, <laughs> his films are like. Oh, we're just saying directorial. Directorial, yeah, directorial okay. films. It's a short one. There's only what, like six? I mean, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen. The I don't Jesus know. There's movie. some really great ones, and then, but I don't know if I want to dig into that. We'll see. We'll see. But you also had pitched Spike Lee, which I think is a great idea. Oh yeah, Spike Lee would be amazing. Yeah, well, there's uh, a lot. To I'll just from. Uh, while we're talking, about, I'll show. I was like, I did, I wrote down Mel Brooks, Spike Lee, M Night Shyamalan, uh, John Carpenter, Brian De Palma. Yes. Catherine Bigelow, Greta Gerwig, John Hughes, Spike Lee, Zemeckis, which we've done a bit of Zemeckis think, already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, Penny Marshall, Rob Reiner, Tim Burton. Oh man, David Lynch. Oh man. I mean, oh, I don't know about so, David. I don't know if I could struggle through David Lynch, man. What? What? What do you not like about like Gone Girl? That David Lynch didn't do Gone Girl. Isn't he? Which Lynch is that? Uh. Not David Lynch. David Lynch did Hold like on. Blue Velvet and Oh, I don't want that then. Hold on. Who did Gone Girl? <laughs> hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. David Fincher. Let me correct oh, that immediately. Oh, I would love to do him. Yeah, he's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's who I yeah, meant. Yeah, yeah, no, he's fine. Uh uh what's his game? Dunkirk guy. I wouldn't mind doing him. Batman oh, Batman Norton. dude. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing him. There's a lot of choices. There's a lot of choices. Yeah. Anyway, but we're still in the thick. We got a long ways to go still about you know, eight months or so of this before we worry about next season. Um, but we watched Amistad. Uh, it is from 1997. And uh, let me pull it back up because I went looking at other directors' filmographies briefly. Uh, it stars Anthony Hopkins. Um, I'm going to mispronounce the name. Jimon Hansu. Jimon Hansu. Hansu. Matthew McConaughey and uh, Jeremy Northam has a brief role, probably before he was had any sort of fame. And of course, the incomparable Morgan Freeman. Who is in this movie. Yes, he, he is, is in the movie. He is a presence in the movie. Um, Yeah. So uh, history with Amistad. Did you see it in the theater? Have you seen it before? I did not. I've seen it one time. Um, this is one of those uh, rented it because I thought I should watch it situations. Um, and I remember uh, after watching it, I was kind of like, okay, that was a movie, wasn't it? Like, um, I, don't, I don't know what I was expecting. And, and I, I guess it was because this came so close on the on the heels of Schindler. Um, yeah. This definitely feels like I want to do it again. Like, I want to do something big and important again. Yes, it does feel like that. And for whatever reason for me at the time, the film, uh, it just does, it just didn't work on that level for me, you know? And so mm-hmm. I watched it. I think I, I mildly liked it at the time, and then I never went back to it. It's not, a, it's not a film that I felt like I had to revisit at all. So how about you? Yeah, uh, I had thought I had seen it. Having watched it again, I now know that I had not. Is there another movie about slaves on a boat or maybe a, a predominantly black cast on a boat where they take over and there's a mutiny, and, but it's more like action-y and like less serious than this? Like I went researching for the movie I thought Amistad was. 
Hmm. Because this is definitely not what I thought it was. Like, yeah. I thought it was more of like about the, like everything was on the ship and it was about the mutiny and about the survival where this movie is a legal drama. It is a courtroom drama. It's a Perry Mason episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. that doesn't ring any bells with me, but I, maybe I just made it up then. I, I or mean, maybe I only saw the opening to the film and thought that's Amistad, you know, this like violent, hyper violent, you know, uh, it wouldn't be a mutiny, a revolt, uh, on this ship, you know? And, uh, yeah. And so going into this, I actually was pretty blind. Wow. Okay. So, uh, knee jerk reaction. Knee-jerk reaction, it, obviously, it was not what you expected it to be. Um, right. Where, where were you uh, while you were watching this movie? Like, I mean, like, how, how did you so, feel about it? I'll, I'll, I'll take you through two different feelings. So the first hour, this is two and a half hours. So the first hour-ish, I was like, whew, this is a slog. This is rough. Like, something was missing to me in the movie that I couldn't put my finger on. It felt a little, um, inauthentic to the time period. Like something was just like, you know how, when you watch sort of a period piece, you just kind of get taken away and you forget you're watching a period piece. And it's just, you get taken into that world. That just didn't happen to me at least immediately. Yes. And about the time. So they introduce, uh, Anthony Hopkins as um, John Adams. What's his middle name? Quincy, Quincy Adams. Yeah. And he's right at the beginning and he's barely in the movie. And then they bring him in and it's not his performance that particularly woke the movie up for me. But what it did was he says something very specific to Morgan Freeman where he's like, because they're having to do this court case. And he's like, well, have you told his story? Who is... Um, how do you pronounce his name? Sinke? Sinke. Uh, Sinke. Yeah. Sinke. And, um, how, who is Sinke? Oh, he's from West Africa. And he's like, well, where are you from? Georgia? He's like, yeah. Does that actually tell your whole story? Is that who you are? And after this moment, you really start to get the Sinke, um, Sinque, I'm sorry, um, character is actually starts to build. And once that happened, the rest of the movie I was all in for. Um, and I I would say that I really enjoyed this. And I think it's one of my favorite things we've watched. Wow. In in his library. I, I yeah. Wow. It did. I was thinking about it today because I watched it. And then I did a bunch of shopping. And I, and I was still thinking about it the whole time. And I was thinking about political issues in our world today and it just brought up so much nuance in like where people can stand on an issue right so you have uh you know morgan freeman who is an abolitionist a former slave so he very much understands where the slaves are and is is fighting for them right and then you have mcconaughey who's a lawyer who at least initially is trying to set them free more of like he's just kind of interested in law it's and like he a, thinks he can win it's like this an case. intellectual an intellectual puzzle for him more or yeah. less he's, now yeah he kind of comes around as he gets to know uh Sinke and all that um and, and becomes very much a hero and then there's the guy that morgan freeman is with stellan skarsgård yeah um ta- tapen yeah and at the beginning it's like i'm an abolitionist we're you know he rolls his eyes when Roger uh, Matthew McConaughey's character mentions that slaves are property, right? He kind of is like property, like it pisses him off a little bit. And, but there's a very point in the movie where he's like, you know, actually our cause would be helped if these slaves did get martyred. And you kind of see where, and to me, I related this to so many other political issues of the day and how polarized our state is and all that is you have people who have ideal uh, ideologies and that's what they're fighting for the ideology. And that's kind of what he is, right? He's all he cares about is 
I am an abolitionist. And winning my argument is the most important thing. Whereas Morgan Freeman um, is more of, I, I, I want people to be free. Like maybe he falls under the abolitionist banner, but it's really more that I actually know what it is to be a slave and I care about the people and I want them to be free. Yeah. And I just like, there was a lot of thinking I did around that piece that the movie had me do. And I, this movie did something that no other movie we watched before has done for me. And it's something you described and I don't physically do the same trait, but you say when you're watching a movie, sometimes you hold your chest and your, your family at the end of this movie, I'm like not holding my, but I get the hole where I'm like trying to swallow to keep from the tears. Yeah. And, um, and no other movie we've watched for this series has done that. Not Schindler's. Like, I cared so much about uh, Sinek that I, when he wins, so to speak, because nothing, like you find out at the end, it's still not a, it's not a happy ending for him. But when he gets that mutual respect with McConaughey and gives the gift to Morgan Freeman and thanks John Quincy Adams, like that sequence when he wins that, that court case, I just was swelling up with like, so many emotions and I just really appreciated that. I loved, loved the character of uh, Sinke. I thought he was so well developed throughout the course of the film. Like it's like I said at the beginning, I'm like, you know, he's speaking another language. I don't know anything about him, what's going on. But once they start getting the interpreter and they start having their conversations and they build camaraderie, I swept away. Yeah. I think that his character is, the strength of the movie. I think it's the heart of the movie. Um, and the way, the way that the movie takes you from, uh, here's the scary guy in a boat killing people. I mean, rightfully so you're rooting for him the whole time, but you know, you don't really know much about him. You don't really know what's, what's going on behind his, behind his, you know, his eyes and so on, like what he's thinking about and so on and so forth. And as the movie goes on, and uh, some of the language barriers start falling. And then, you know, like, here's this guy and he's like trying to understand the legal system and he's trying to strategize and he's trying to like take agency in his own defense, you know, and he's trying to understand the treaties, uh, the international treaties that are impacting him and and, and trying to chip in. He's got a former president there and he keeps sending the, the translator over there to poke him. Like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And uh, like, so me that's that's when that character like really uh comes into his own like there's this analytical logical mind in there you know who's who's not just a passive player in this situation you know which the movie could Mm -hmm. have made him just a passive player in this situation um however all the rest of the 35 people are just passive players in the situation. Like he's personifying this whole group, you know, and they're, yeah. they're putting all of, all of, uh, you know, this entire group of victims, you know, through this filter of him. Um, I don't know. So like, like you said, like I find great value in this movie as a talking Piece. Like my wife and I talked about it a lot, you know, mm-hmm. afterwards and and as a an examination, uh, whether good or not of of that time period and so on. But I I just didn't I didn't emotionally connect with this movie for a lot of reasons, you know, like outside of the uh, horrific sequence uh where he's recalling what happened on the first ship they were on um where you know it's basically is like i'm going to take it's it's what i call the horror capsule in the middle of the movie you know like it takes all of the horrific things and puts them in this little capsule and shoves them down your throat in the middle of the movie um outside of that i didn't really uh it was much more of an intellectual exercise for me you know, like I didn't I didn't have a big emotional connection to what was going on. And I think it might have been because Sinky was the only character that I really cared about or connected with. You know, I, I, I like 
John Quincy Adams, <laughs> he's in the movie, he's out of the movie for a long period, then he's in the movie, you know, hard to find a connection with him. Um, Morgan Freeman, I don't even know why he's in the movie. Like, I, I felt like he's just a passive observer, you know. Um, he is the one character in the movie that I know is not based on a historic figure. Like, he was just oh, yeah. kind of added in there. Um and it kind of felt a little manipulative to me to put him in there, almost as though he was a way to kind of like sideways wedge to avoid the white savior trope, uh, which I didn't. I don't like that. And Matthew McConaughey, you know, like he's so detached and analytical for the majority of the movie. And then when he finally does come around and become emotionally involved, I didn't feel like the movie showed that enough. You know, like I didn't I didn't feel that from him. Um, and, and, you know, so, so it was interesting on an intellectual level, uh, to kind of follow the case and so on, but I never, I never did get that, the swell that you're talking about. Yeah. Did you get the fuck like pissed off thing though? Like, oh yeah. Um, like the, so again, there is a lot of talking points. Like the whole reason this thing keeps going, like it's a lengthy process of just courtroom stuff. Right. And so like you have your first one with, I don't know the actor's name, but this old guy who's very much like, I'm just, I've been a judge forever. I'm going to do my job. And when, uh, Van Buren, the, uh, current president sees that things are going away that doesn't favor him being reelected, they oust him and they bring in Jeremy. Is it Jeremy Northam? Yeah. Um, young Steve who, Martin. Huh? He looks like young Steve Martin in this oh, movie. Oh, but he's, I've always just known him as Jeremy Northam because I've seen him in other things. Yeah. That like, anyway, but he's in it and he's the younger guy that the, the president and all of them think they can manipulate into getting their own way. And then when that doesn't work, the president pushes it to the Supreme court, you know, and, that sort of just to be reelected, right? And the result of him pushing it to the Supreme Court is the hopes that they lose. And if they lose, they get executed so he can be reelected. Yeah. And again, I just keep seeing parallels. I'm like, shit. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice to keep whatever you're doing? You know? Oh, yeah. I think in the case of a lot of these people in power then and now, the answer is anything. Anything. Yeah. Anybody. Anything. I mean... Like yeah, a lot of current political situations right now, I mean, are are killing people. They're going to result in the deaths of our citizens, and uh, they they still move ahead with these things. Um, so yeah, I I do think, and to your point about the the way it progresses from one court to the other, um, it really like shows just how bewildering our legal system is. Okay. You know, yeah, and, and like even people who are born here who get caught up in our legal system are just like, what the hell? There are many like- times where McConaughey, the lawyer character is like, and basically Singh is like, what, what does this mean? What is happening? And he goes, I don't know. Like he, even the guy who's the lawyer is like, I don't know why, you know, like, um, yeah, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Like you win the case and it just bumps up to a higher court. Like that, it doesn't make a lick of sense, you know? And, and it's gotta be, you know, I mean, there are tons of people who go through it every day, but it's got to be the most infuriating, frustrating thing on the planet to like throw everything. Well, you usually have and- now, like if you're presumed innocent, you done, you're done. The only time you would have to go back to court if you're presumed guilty and you, uh, you know, appeal. But the the scene that happens after that, when it gets pushed to the Supreme Court and he's explaining to Sinke, we're going to have to keep going. That's one of my favorite scenes. That was one of the the breakout scenes for the character to me where he's like, what kind of system is this where things almost work, where things almost happen, you know? And he, he actually strips down and like burns his clothes. He's like really pissed off, um, which is what I do when I'm pissed off. <laughs> and um, it, I really love that scene. I liked the fear in Matthew McConaughey's eyes, you know? Um, I, I, and like you said, and I said, the, the character of Sinke is so well performed so well written and you just want him to win and like because you know the other thing is is like i'm an action fan you know i like the guys the van dams that do spin kicks and shit and they take action in their own hands here's a hero that can't take action into his own hands 
and yet he's every bit as heroic and um you know like he, when he's on screen i'm like rooting for him to to i know he could beat all of these old guys asses in this courtroom yeah, and, as a as a physical person, he <laughs> could take anybody in this movie, you know. Right. Yeah. And I just I'm just so on board with the character. Um I like he I I and I, I kind of agree, like the the periphery characters. I think I would give a little more care uh credit to Matthew McConaughey's character as having a bit of an arc. Um whereas Quincy Adams is basically retired until they finally like listen you gotta stop being retired for a little bit and um you know there are other great performances i particularly like the prosecutor uh throughout all of the the pete post low weight i think he is fantastic performance i hated his guts i'm supposed to um lost world he's the uh the big game hunter in lost there world. you go yeah um i really liked him in this yeah, he's always awesome. Like, he's just one of those guys that when he shows up, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, this guy's great. And then, again, I'm going to mess up this name. Uh, the translator. Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor. Ejiofor. Awesome. He's awesome in everything he does, too. He's he, one of those he guys. Is, who, and I had no he, idea he was in this. And I guess this is his first film role. And he, when he showed up, I was like, look at it. He's like, he's like 15. Like, look at yeah. him. He's so young in this movie. Speaking of young. And Paquin as Queen Isabella. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nowhere. Yeah, that was uh, I think this is post-Oscar. Did she win her little Oscar for uh, when for she the, was like a, a for baby? For the piano. Yeah, I think that was prior to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's in it for a blip, but... Um, yeah, I found, I found uh, as far as the political and, and uh, legal stuff goes... The fact that this all hinged on where these guys came from was so interesting me to me. Like, like so many things in our legal system are so mm-hmm. fucked, and and the idea that their place of origin determines whether or not they are allowed to be enslaved is like an amazing point of law. Like, it's amazing that that was the rule, right? Like. We can have slavery and we can buy and sell human beings, but we're not allowed to import them anymore. Like importing is off the table. Importing, bad. <laughs> you know, homegrown, fine. It, yeah. like the fact it's a that weird that was, line to draw. Yeah, that that was the rule that this whole case hinged on, like blew my mind. I had no idea. Like, I, I think, you know, I, I'm sadly undereducated on a lot of topics, uh, and, and this is one of them. Um, like, I didn't realize that, like, I kind of thought, like, okay, Civil War, Emancipation Proclamation, and then that trickled out to the different states over, like, way too long to for it to take place. But I kind of thought that up until that point, the slave trade was still going on. Like, like, like internationally, the Atlantic, you know, slave trade in the boats and the nightmare and all that. Like, I thought that was still happening. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that, that, you know, internationally, uh, the majority of companies had put a stop to that, uh, you know, years before. And that now, you know, you're only allowed to proceed with your internal slaves, I guess. Speaking of it, I'm reminded of another performance I really loved. And it's the guy, he's the British soldier who captains a ship or whatever. Yeah. he, The righteous he British comes, guy. He has no time for bullshit. And I loved it. Like, the prosecutor's coming up. He's like, oh, wouldn't you say? And he tries to spin the truth. And the guy's like, no. And he gets in his face and he tells him how it really is. And then, like, at the very end, when they're blowing up the the fortress that uh, was used to keep slaves captive, and he's like, I, I liked his little... He's in there for a blip, but I really enjoyed his little story. You know, like, his moment in court and then his moment blowing up the thing at the end i thought was really fun yeah okay so like i i also enjoyed him and i enjoyed his performance and i enjoyed the character in the movie i think like conceptually it's pretty problematic to have the british guy be like the righteous outsider right like because the the brits were like the slave tradingist of them all, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. they were, they were some pretty, like at this point in history, maybe they had, they had stopped, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so on. But like back in the day, they were, 
you know, like primary instigators of right. this they sort of thing. They were the ones who went and slaughtered the Native Americans and the indigenous people of Australia. And yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, colonies all over the place. And, you know, we're the, like, they are like major subjugators historically. So for the for the British guy to sit there and like point the finger and be like, no, heathens, we do not take part in this. You know, I was kind of like, all right, dude. I, I like, felt that a little too, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of. A I funny still kind of liked he was the guy who was like the prosecutor was not going to get any headway on this guy, and I just appreciated that scene um, as the prosecutor up until that point really had been kind of doing a pretty good job of swaying things his way, you know, and to have that. Yeah. I don't know. You get the uppity guy gets served, you know. You kind of appreciate it. So the other. Like big, I think probably was the Oscar scene. I don't know if he got nominated or not, but the scene that was felt built for Anthony Hopkins to win his Oscar was the opening argument in front of the Supreme Court. And it was weird. Like uh, half of it I really liked, like where he goes up to Sinke and he puts his arm on him and he's like, this guy here, if he were white, we wouldn't be here. If he were white, we'd be dressing him with medals, you know, and he is a hero if he were white. Like, I really like that part of the uh, speech because it really contrasted where the problem is. Because if a white guy is on a ship after his village had been ransacked and men, women and children were kidnapped, if he breaks out, sets his people free, kills everyone on the boat they come home a hero, right? Yeah. You know, um, but because he does the same exact thing and he's black, he doesn't get the same treatment. I really appreciated that part of the speech. I thought it was well done. But then he does this like thing where he starts reconciling his relationship with his father, John Adams. Yeah. Like, where he's like, I, I also, I, I, I felt like there was a line in that speech, like, like not a line that he says, but like, I, like, a, like he drew a line and the first half of the speech was really good. And yeah. then the second half of the speech, I also had this moment where I'm sitting there like, what the hell is he talking about? Are we even still he's talking like, I, about the thing? Like, what, what is he doing? It was like, I'm sorry. I didn't listen to you, dad. And you're like his dad's dead and he has this crisis of, I'm sorry. I didn't listen. I should have listened to you more, dad. And I'm like, okay, as someone who's lost their father, I get it. But now's not the time. Right. <laughs> like, why why is this in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was no, really I, weird. I agree. And that, that was like the closing half of, of his speech. And I thought the first half of the speech was super effective. And then the second half was like really rambly and, and yeah. not, not necessarily relevant. I guess in real life, he talked for like eight hours or something like that. Oh, and God, you know how much I would hate that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how much of this was like called from his actual speech and how much of it was written, you know? But yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. No wonder they just get to talk. What else did he talk about? I remember the plumber who fixed my <laughs> toilet. Great yeah. guy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm glad that that you noticed that as well because like I was kind of I started looking around the room like okay is he got like is he is this a scene <laughs> like what what's he doing yeah he went off the rails a little bit um but I, I so the other problem with the John Quincy Adams to me was the makeup there was something very uncanny valley about it oh interesting it, I thought it was pretty good like to a degree from a distance and in some scenes, it was better than others. There's a scene about midway through the movie where you can see like the wrinkles are caked on, like they mm. added more wrinkly to make him older. Yeah. And then there's something with his upper lip that okay. I just like they got rid of it some. I don't know. <laughs> it looked weird. Um, I'll have to take a look at it again. I uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Like coming off of like some of the old other old people makeup that we've had in some of the other films, I was like, oh, this is all right. And in like having seen Anthony uh, Hopkins as an older guy now, I'm like, yeah, they kind of they got it. Like even even now though, he doesn't look that old. Like you know when you see him in yeah. current day, you well, know. And I I I was immediately thinking about um, his role as Alfred Hitchcock in the movie Hitchcock. And like how that makeup made him look different. Like one thing I would say is that the makeup, he didn't really look like immediately recognizable as Anthony Hopkins until he started talking. 
Um, so there was that. Yeah. I think I would have been fine had he just grown sideburns and just gone in as he was. And just acted um, old. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, I don't know what John Quincy Adams looks like, you know? I don't care. It would it, be different if it was like someone a little more memorable like Lincoln coming up months down the road. But even then, I don't think that it, you don't need that much beer, a bear, uh, a beard and a top hat is really all it takes. Yeah, I got the I got the sensation that he was supposed to be doddering. You know, like he was supposed to be so old that you know they weren't sure he was going to be able to like toe the line and, and like keep his focus. Certainly, you know, like in the beginning of the falling film. asleep in Senate and all of that stuff. Well, um, that didn't bother me so much because I liked. Like, so it opens up, he's asleep in Senate, and someone's talking shit about him, but he's clearly not asleep because he responds in turn. But then he's, like, going down the steps. He's like, okay, which direction am I going? And hold, here, hold my arm. Let go of my arm. You know, he just kind of, like, had that crazy old guy. But then when he gets involved in the case, there's none of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess we're supposed to figure that now he's focused up. But there, there were a few things in the movie that I, I kind of was like, well, why did they set this up if it wasn't going to pay off? You know, like it, that was one of the things. The other one was uh, when the guys on the ship hide the book, you know, and they kind of like they say, OK, they're going to search the ship, hide the book. And they stick the book down into this little slot, mm-hmm. uh, like by where the steering wheel of the ship is. And then later on, when McConaughey and Morgan Freeman are searching the boat, they find a book in a completely different spot. And I was like, is that supposed to be the book? Cause that's not where he put it the was book. the book. Yeah. Like that they have, did they sneak back on and move the book? Like why, why is this book tucked into this different place? It just kind of struck me as a little, like, I don't know, weird. It was weird. It was a weirdness. So it didn't bother me, but I get it. Let, let's, let's talk about the horror capsule because I, I feel like, it really needs to be addressed because it is. How do I want to put this? This movie is amazingly horrific, amazingly horrific for like 10 minutes. And I would say that it is uh, realistic in the horror that it portrays. Like it, it, it shows what, what happened on this ship and, but, but I felt like taking the horror and encapsulating it the way that it did, it took away from the experience of the movie. Like, I don't know quite how to, how, how to put this, but I felt like. The movie did a disservice by capturing it all in a neat little package like that. Mm. You know, like, like essentially, when they started, there were 53 people that were captured, right? Only 35 of those people made it to the end of that trial. So... Along the way, during this trial and during, you know, the the rest of the voyage to the United States or whatever the hell, uh, all those people died. None of that is portrayed in the movie, right? And so we we get the scene before they actually get on the Amistad where it it shows, you know, like it basically shows Cinque being captured and then the conditions that they're in on the boat. And... uh, you know, heinous. The people that get these dudes on this boat are just fuckers. Like, just the worst, most villainous, horrible human beings. These guys didn't plan to have enough uh, supplies on the boat. And so they've got too many people to feed. And so they just pick the weakest people or the most troublesome people. Or they just pick them randomly and throw people overboard, like, chained to rocks into, like, a big chain, you know. And this was one of those Spielberg scenes where I was watching and I was like, oh, somebody got hurt. Like when they were making this, there's no way that you can film this sequence without <laughs> without hurting these people. Because like you see the people in the chain sliding off the boat yeah. and trying to like hang out of the boat. And I was like, oh, my God, it's like it's like uh, Nettie and Mr. On the Porch all over again times a thousand, you know, like. Uh, but anyhow, 
Okay, so that all happened, and it was super horrific, and you know, scarring for the people that were left behind. And it's a, obviously a pivotal thing to show in the movie. But the horror that the victims survived didn't end there, right? Like it didn't end yeah. with the uprising. It didn't end with them getting to the prison uh, in Connecticut. You know they kept dying you know like that and they show one guy die and so on but like i felt like by not continually and i don't mean continually not constantly portraying the conditions that they were in you know uh as being horrific uh it kind of is doing a disservice by 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 focusing so much on the court case and so little on the experience of everybody except for CK, you know like in the prison uh, it it kind of did a disservice to the history of what happened to these people, you know. And and it's it's not like I'm like I want I want to see the rough stuff for the sake of seeing the rough stuff. But I'm thinking in terms of of like Schindler, which unflinchingly showed what happened to those people consistently and constantly showed the conditions that they were in and and you know the the oppression that they were under whereas this movie uh it, it just keeps going back to it right it just keeps going back to it back to it back to it again and again uh this movie doesn't it shows this one sequence and then you know and then we're back in the court with McConaughey and you know all of that and i don't know it just i uh, I get where you're saying, like, I am on board with what you're saying, because there is definitely feels like the most important thing to the film was the court case. Yeah. Which, I mean, that, important. I mean, that's the story that they wanted to tell, and that's fine. And they get put into other stuff for context, I guess. But I feel like there was just more going on in this story than what yeah, we're seeing in that this could film. have been. I'm with you on that. Um, I will say that the the horror capsule in the middle is about the time where I started really getting invested though, because it's when CK started talking and you could understand what he was saying and the relationship started building and we'd seen where he was from and the things he had survived and you know, how strong he is, um, uh, you know, surviving that and not only surviving that, but being the one who starts the revolt breaks free does all this stuff um that was the point where i started because up until that point i really felt like the movie was lacking any characters that i could get behind on more than just uh not super but like there are a lot of slaves in the film and i want all of them to survive but none of them were like i didn't know them right Right. Until you get to that and you see where CK has been through and then you're like, OK, now I really care about him and more than just uh, like, a, you know, hey, we're, we're praying for the people in the Ukraine to I got a friend in the Ukraine, you know, like that kind of difference. Right. Right. Um, the, the, the moment where it, it gets a little more real. Personal. Yeah. 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 And um, so I that. The last hour and a half of this movie, I really dug. I I was glad that they really cut the final case short. Like all you get is the opening argument, and then boom, we're here. It is here's we've made our decision because essentially they're just going to be making the same damn arguments they made in the previous two trials. You know, <laughs> like yeah, like, do we yeah. really want to go do it again? Um, in general, I also felt like the movie was kind of missing any sense of suspense, you know, like I didn't, I didn't ever I, I have think the a Jeremy moment. Northam moment when he is delivering his verdict. I think at least had a little bit of like, I can see where this side is coming from and you kind of weren't sure which way it was going to go. Yeah. But certainly with the, the, the last one, you know, it was going to go the way it was. Yeah, so let's talk about Jeremy Northam for a while. I have this as, as in my questions, but it's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk to you talk about about this guy. 
So, and it's all tied in with the representation of Christianity in the film, right? Okay. Um, so to start with, how, how did you feel about like the other guys, like, you know, he, he, the Bible, the whole situation with the guy in the Bible, like Sinke's, I don't even want to call him friend, like fellow, uh, inmate who snatches the Bible from one of the abolitionists as he walks past and then ends up spending the rest of the movie kind of examining it. Like how, how did that whole sequence of events work for you? I was here for it. Um, mostly because I, I think there are a couple things. I think one is he was interested in it right now. That could be a couple reasons. One, he's stuck in jail with nothing to do. You have the only book available. I'm just going to read this. You know what I mean? Right. I'm going to figure this thing out. Yeah. Yeah. And he's learning the language and all of that. And then he starts to see hope in the thing I like about this. If I can get really not religious, if I could talk about faith for a moment, is that he only focuses on Jesus and his actions. Here he is helping people. Here he is, you know, he talks about he got arrested and for no reason. And then CK's like, well, it had to be for a reason. He goes, why are we arrested? You know, I liked that. And then he talks about the death and resurrection. And he's like, look, this is where we go when we die. That doesn't seem so bad. And he just kind of found hope in uh, the scriptures and being in a terrible place, which is something that happens in history all the time. Right. Um, people find faith in dark places. I also appreciate that CK listened. Didn't necessarily agree, but just kind of was like, okay, you know, there was no fight there. Like he just kind of was like, I found some hope in this and that's a good thing. I also think there are a lot of maniacs in the movie that take, read the same book and come out on the other side of things. You know, like we have this right to kill them and we're this just nation and we're all Christians. So we're sort of above uh, any other whatever, blah, blah, blah. And to me, so I found of the the representation of Christianity in this movie, I found that guy in prison to be the most genuine and accurate representation of what I love about my faith is in him it's the hope it's look he's helping people we can help people let's be like that so that's how i felt about it now i also understand there's a lot of hey let's push our religion on people and you know get them you're gonna fall in line and go to church and you gotta follow our rules i think because of the fact that he came about it so much more organically it made it feel right yeah, that's interesting. I, I love this, this thing <laughs> where the abolitionists show up outside the prison and they start singing. <laughs> and one yeah, of the guys so is like, like they're entertainers. Yeah. <laughs> the other guy's like, love why? Because why they look so depressed? It kind of gets into the thoughts and prayers argument that always happens around right. tragedies. It's like, we'll s- sing and s- hold Like, those are always like, and this is something that I very much think Jesus teaches. Those are sort of like last ditch. There's nothing else I can do. So I will pray for you. Um, but it, it was very much like he also says, if you have two coats and see someone without one, give them the coat, right? That's the more like if you wave at someone in need and say, Hey, I'll pray for you, even though you have the means to help them and you don't, that's a problem. And I think those are the verses that are open people kind of glaze over and they just say hey you need jesus and yeah yeah so i kind of like watching it after the fact i realized that it was a part of the christianity capsule which exists in this movie it's you know another sequence in the movie very specifically uh about a, a topic and and so there's there's that scene, and there's some other stuff in the movie that kind of leads up to him, him snatching the Bible, and you see him looking at it at various times. But uh, there's that scene, and then it shows them walking to court, and he's holding the Bible, and the abolitionists are there holding the cross, and he looks up and he sees the mass of the ship, and they look like crosses, right? Like three crosses, specifically. <laughs> and they're going to get the verdict at that point. And 
juxtaposed with that scene, we've got the judge, Jeremy Northam, right? And he is going into church and praying and you don't realize it at the time, but this is being shown for a reason. He is wrestling with his faith and his conscience. And and at this point, this guy knows what the right thing to do is, right? But he has been put in place as a political puppet, right? They brought this guy in to with with the express purpose of convicting these guys and executing them, right? And I'm certain we don't see these conversations too much, but I'm certain in they in no uncertain terms told him this is what you are here to do. You do this. This is why we brought you in oh, and yeah. then you'll get a promotion afterwards or whatever, right? So here is this guy and he is under enormous political pressure by the president of the United States, by all of the southern states, you know, by, you know, half the country practically is telling this guy what he needs to do in this moment. And he goes, he finds his own faith, he finds his own conscience, and he does the right thing, right? Here's what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here with this, and I'm surprising myself by okay. going here with this. I'm excited. But do you know who this made me think of? And I'm, I'm shocked that this okay. is going to come out Mitt of my Romney? mouth. No. Oh, no, Mike, I don't. Mike Pence. <laughs> oh, in the January 6th. Yes, it made me think of fucking Mike Pence. And like, I want to be clear. From the moment Mike Pence accepted the nomination as vice president, I was like, this is a bad man. He is a bad man for doing this. Like, there, there is no redemption for this guy, even for accepting that position. He is a bad man. And, like, I, I don't mind putting my own political views out there. I, 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 I disagree with him on almost everything. Almost everything. I disagree with Mike Pence. But here is a guy who was under enormous political pressure, who had, you know, people outside the door. Yeah. Talking about hanging him right there in the moment could have easily folded and say what you want about him. Think what you want about him. Believe what you want about him. Did the right thing. In that one moment, he did the right thing. And it that's what this reminded me of. You know, like, it, it just reminded me of, like, you can take someone and you can prep them and you can tell them what you want from them and you can pressure them and you can bribe them and you can threaten them and you can goad them. But at a certain point, if it's the right kind of person, they're going to get their spine up. And they're going to do the right thing. And, and, uh, <laughs> just, I can't believe that, <laughs> that, 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 uh, I made, me made me think to praise Mike Pence. <laughs> but that's, I, that's I was what came s- to my mind. And like, it really did. That's I like it. I mean, because, uh, you know, there, there's everything else and then there's the right thing to do. But, uh, I was going to say, I, I mentioned Mitt Romney because he was sort of doing the right thing while everyone else was still on the Trump chain. He was the guy who was like, no, fucking no. You know, like, and <laughs> voting There's against been a few the, of them, right? Like Liz Cheney, the, she's another one. Like, yeah, uh, another person I really don't agree with. Like, impeach his ass, you know? He's the only one who voted that from the Republican side that he should actually be out of office. Like, so, yeah. Uh, I get I, I think that is a very good parallel um, and an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, please. Don't, I am surprised. Don't show up. Well my done, door, sir. People. It's very brave <laughs> of you to, to, it's, to bring it's, that up. It's a sad fact that in our world, the way it is today, it's, quote, brave of me to, to even bring <laughs> this up. Right. Like. It's so funny from both sides. Now, both right. sides are like, like the one side is like, fuck you, you just... we hate Mike Pence. And the other side is like, fuck you, we hate Mike Pence. Yeah, everybody <laughs> does, right? He's he's isolated himself from everyone because of, yeah, absolutely. That's funny.
Ah, uh, <laughs> fantastic. All right. Um, I don't think we're going to top that, but I do want to talk about the music in the movie. Um, it is John Williams. There are several moments. Let me say the good first. I like the score at the very end when Cinque is thanking and greeting everyone, and it just kind of helped push the emotional nature of those scenes a little bit, right? It just kind of added that little flavor to it it needed. Then there's the scene where, what does he say? We uh, give me free, something like that. Yeah. The score there is so heavy-handed. And so, oh, oh, everyone see, oh, like, and it's raising and pluming up. And this is the big moment that everyone, and it's shot so seriously. And if you've seen any screenshots from this movie, you've seen Cinque in chains with his hands out. Give me free. And, oh, and it was trying so hard to tell me how to feel. And I was not here for it. I also was not here for the score in this movie, like, a lot of the time. Like, there'd just be people talking. Like, they're just having a conversation, and the score was, and I was like, It was so noticeable. Tone it down. Just tone it down. Like, you don't need to make every moment the big, dramatic, sweeping moment. And I'll say say the opposite. There's the scene where Jeremy Northam says his you know, verdict and everybody's yelling and celebrating and there's no music. And it's one of the best scenes in the film because you can hear the chaos of the upset people on the left, the happy people on the right, and just all the stuff going on in between. And I sometimes silence is the best thing in certain sequences. And I think that sequence definitely had the wrong score at the wrong time because it was very much trying to make it a, bigger thing than it i don't know like i almost felt like when they rewatch the scene they're like ah it's not punchy it's not powerful enough uh you bring up the score you know like do more more score it pushes past inspirational and goes into schmaltzy is what the problem is it takes an inspirational moment and makes it feel false because it goes too far yes yeah, I, 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 a rare miss by John Williams for me in this movie. But yeah, I did. I, I noticed the score in a negative way, a lot, of, a lot during this movie. And uh, it's funny because I don't really know how films are scored. Like yeah. I kind of thought that they would write write certain movements and then try to match them up to what was going on in the movie and then like write the final score and then like, you've seen images of people like with the orchestra on the blow and they're projecting the film on the screen behind them and they're kind of playing along with the film but I don't really know if that's how it works or if they like just record things and then like kind of match them up or like yeah. exactly how that all comes into play I mean there's an artistry there and I'm sure it's very technical and, and, so and we've on. said on this podcast the best in the world is john williams right yes so yeah but I you mean, know even jordan everybody sometimes perfect. you know like <laughs> and yeah. we don't even know that it was his decision to put that there you know it could have been silent and steven's like you know what? i mean throw that in there and it just was like Ugh. It, yeah um so just a couple more things before we wrap. Uh, and I had these in the form of questions, but we already like discussed the majority As of the things usual. that I had for questions yet. But one thing that I did want to point out, you know, we, earlier we were talking about things that were set up and then not followed up on the doddering, you know, John Quincy Adams and the book in the weird place. I also felt like the movie spent several minutes pointing out the tribal differences between the different subsections in the group of of uh, victims who are on trial. And, and then it just never, ever comes back to that. Like, there's this whole scene where uh, McConaughey tries to bring his table in and set it down and start, like, communicating with the people in prison. And they're like, get this shit out of here. <laughs> like, you put it over yeah. there in their territory. And they're like, no, you put it over there in I did, their territory. I thought that was an interesting moment. I kind of enjoyed that. Like, this, yeah. I liked it too, but then it never went anywhere, you right. know? And I thought that that just really continued to show like how the rest of the people besides Sinke and Bible guy are just kind of, and, and sharpened teeth guy who dies, uh, 
are, are just kind of like background characters in the movie, you know, and there are so many different people like there were women and children, you know, and, and, and so on. Uh just under underdeveloped, you know? Yeah. And and I thought that they kind of played that for comedy, but it was, you know, probably a very real thing that went on there, you know, people separating themselves out by where they came from geographically, you know, where they were kidnapped from. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. Just another um, movie you wish was a miniseries. Oh, for sure. Oh dude. Yes. I would watch the shit out of this if it was a miniseries. Yeah, give me for like four two-hour episodes. I'm all in. I love a miniseries, man. I, uh, I can tell you wanted to turn that boring slog uh, Empire <laughs> of the Sun into one, and I was not here for that. Dear God, no. Make it a 30-minute sitcom. So let me let me just ask you this, and this is my one question that I'm going to ask you. Is anything besides the freedom of Sinke and his compatriots achieved by the outcome of this case. Um, no, I mean, uh, because the civil war, the whole thing was like, you don't want to be the president that's in power when the civil war starts. Well, he wasn't even though this went this way, you know, the civil war is still many years away. Um, several presidents away. He's long out of office before the civil war starts. So it, it, it had it been the spark that ignited the civil war, then maybe you could say, wow, look how, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just the freedom. Uh, I think what, I is also interesting that's touched on briefly is the sacrifice. Like you talked about Jeremy Northam and sort of really s- sacrificing his career to do the right thing. Cause chances are, he's not going to get the same opportunities he had, but then uh, McConaughey has mentions that he has no clients left because I took this job, you know, and there's that sacrifice there. So no, I think that's really the, what was accomplished and, uh, yeah, it maybe just, further established that uh, Washington was more going to side with the North on things. As yeah, in, it, it, the, it, it to yeah. me, like I came out of it feeling like, well, that was a divisive moment in the history of the country. But I don't know if it it pushed anything towards the civil war more. I don't know if it changed anything. They sure about- tried to set it up that way in the film. They did. They tried to make it feel like it was a critical moment in the history of, of you know, America's history of slavery, right? And I came away with it thinking, like, nah, like, excellent for these guys that they got to go home, even though, like, home was clearly very shitty when they got there, you know, from the coda that it shows. Um, but, like, was this a, a, a policy change? Not really. Like it was the enforcement of laws that were on the books already, right? And and they right. it was the big triumph was that they agreed to enforce the laws that were already on the books correctly. <laughs> like, yeah, it wasn't a shift in policy, right? It wasn't exactly. the Emancipation Proclamation. It was just uh, them finding the right formality to set them free. There was no point where in these proceedings where it was we should let them go because they're human beings and they slavery is wrong and they don't deserve to be treated this way all the arguments came down to they're from africa this is against the law they need to go free yeah yeah so yeah it's interesting because it does it does feel like one of these things that like this is supposed to represent like a sea change right but it it's not it's not it's 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 one case um, and, and, uh, it leaves, it leaves the victory to me, at least feeling a little, uh, you know, again, excellent for those guys. What about those other 10 million people? You know, like, I don't know. I get it, but it's also one story in the, the long history of slavery. It is. So, it is. But that's, I think, is what keeps it t- t- for me as an intellectual exercise, you know, yeah. and, and, and part of why I can't necessarily really connect with it on on such an emotional level. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I, nonetheless, I do think like a, a movie that is well worth watching, you know, like a valuable addition to uh, the Spielberg collection, you know, like to his body of work. Um, certainly not something where I'm uh, given my whole uh, thumb cocked the side up a little bit. Like, I, this is a thumbs up, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just didn't necessarily find myself, like, swept up into it because I was I was in analysis mode, like, the entire time, you know? I want to say that's where I was for about the first hour. Like, and yeah. then the horror capsule happens, and then they really start to develop CK's character and I start to fall in love with the character and I want him to win. And then I really appreciated the finale after the final hearing of him giving out his gratitude, thanking them. And just that emotional part there really got to me because I I really I, I think I felt like this is a man whose respect I really would want. Yeah, I had right? that same and feeling. Then when he, when he gives it to Quincy Adams and Morgan Freeman, who, because there's a lot of points where uh, the, the, the group of victims, they look at all the other black men and they're dressed in nice clothes and, Oh, he's a, he's white, you know, yeah, they're giving him the side eye through most of the movie. Yeah. Morgan Freeman's kind of, and Morgan Freeman kind of gets lumped into that. And then when he gets that respect at the end of the film, it means something to him. And I just felt like, CK is a character that I would like to get his respect and it's not easily earned uh, or it's not easily given. And it's, but through the course of the film going from hating Matthew McConaughey to knowing, okay, he's on my side to hating him again for something that the government is doing and not him because he represents this bizarre law system. And then, being grateful to him for all the work he's done and the freedom and everything. So uh, that ending to me kind of really in the last hour or so really did it for me where I was like, I, and I was thinking back into the other movies we watched where I just, there weren't many movies where I was just emotionally like tugged along, like as great as Schindler's list is, um, it didn't have that moment of, like even the moment where Schindler's like, I could have saved more people. I could have sold my car in this ring. And, and I'm like, okay, I get that. Right. You know, and I get the the paradox there, but it didn't pull me in emotionally like this did. And I think yeah. it's all comes down to the character of CK and uh, the performance of uh, the guy's name. I don't want to butcher. Um, it's interesting how subjective that is. Like, like how how some movies work emotionally on me, some work emotionally on you, and and there's not necessarily a. I mean, that's not saying that it's a good movie or a bad movie. You know, like it's yeah, just everybody has their own personal triggers, and you know, sometimes uh, they work, sometimes they don't. The Goonies ship gives me the chills every time I see it. And <laughs> the I end, the don't the care. I've never right? felt a damn thing about the Goonies right yeah, yeah. it's just like everybody but you has get that, things. that final score at the end of back to the future three Woo-wee, every time <laughs> gets me yeah well on that oh note. and um yeah i can't go another episode without mentioning the ending to homeward bound every time boohoo crying good times Shadow! <laughs> Did Spielberg produce that? Can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, we're not doing home. We're brought them. Sorry. Oh, it's so good. Um, well, I, I think we're done here. We we were discussing off pod whether doing a bonus episode because our next Spielberg proper movie is another perennial classic in Saving Private Ryan, which I have not seen since I saw it in the theater. Oh, oh, man. Ooh. Good times, good times. Have you seen it recently? I haven't seen it recently. It's probably been about 10 years, but I watched it a lot. Like, I, I saw it at the theater, and then I dragged my dad back to see it at the theater, and then I dragged some other friends back to see it at the theater, bought the DVD, watched the shit out of that. So, yeah, I've seen Private Ryan quite a few times, but this will be the first time in a while that I've yeah. seen it. Um, but it's one of those movies that I have a, like a lot of the scenes kind of memorized and so on. 
I'm generally speaking not a military movie fan. It just doesn't do it for me. I can't think of one where I was like, hell yeah, and I watch it. Or I just don't. It It's one of those genres I don't care about. Oh, there's so um, much stuff to talk about in this movie. Like yeah. Some of the some of the performances and uh, just some of the sequences are so amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to well, it. Well, we'll get into it then. So we'll, we'll do that next. No bonus. We're sorry. We'll come up with another one some other time. Um, but yeah, so you can find uh, Eric at Eric underscore Hotter on Twitter, as well as his YouTube page, Eric Hotter. Uh, and what else was there? The Gaming uh, Nexus? GamingNexus.com, yep. And uh, check out some of his written articles. Uh, you can find me at Podcast by Jeff, and you can also listen to my other podcast, The Movie Draft House, where we just reviewed Bordello of Blood. Oh, You ever oh. seen that? Years ago, but I loved it. Is that, uh, what's his name from Titanic? What's his name? Uh, no, that's the other one. No, They're that's Demon, Demon Knight. Knight. Demon Knight. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of Demon Knight, but both of them are good. Both of those, I, uh, I wholeheartedly shows. agree. I rewatched yeah. Demon Knight in preparation for Bordello. Tales um, from the Crypt. That's what they are. Yep. Tales from the Crypt movies. Yeah, yeah. Those was, are did excellent. you ever see the Tales from the Crypt episode where the guy gets nine lives from the cat? No, I have not. Oh, it's the best one. You got to watch it. Anyway, we're going to get out of here. We'll see you next uh, two weeks time for Saving Private Ryan. Bye, y'all.